Hey, Heartland, good morning. How are you? Yeah? Does coming to church today, is it increase the chances that the Chiefs are going to win? Is that... It works like that, but it doesn't hurt anything. Let's just go with that. But we're glad to be with you. Glad all of you who are watching from home are with us as well. We are continuing a series that we've been in. We have been journeying through the most powerful teaching from the most powerful teacher who ever lived, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's three chapters in the book of Matthew that are so rich and so powerful that we're spending four months in them. And we're breaking up this journey into a few sections. And today we're wrapping up this first, this first section, Jesus' introduction to this sermon. We're calling this the downward ascent. Why are we calling it the downward ascent? Because Jesus comes right out of the gate in this introduction and he challenges the upward ways of this world. Jesus knows that there are ladders in our world that the world encourages us to climb, that there are ladders of, of wealth and power and recognition, that this is how our world tends to locate ourselves. And so how high up are you on the ladder? How high up the career ladder are you? How high up the education ladder are you? Even how high up the travel ladder are you based on the places that you've been to? I was in a conversation once with a few guys and we were talking about what our spring break plans were and one of us was just going to kind of stay put and stay home with our families and another one said that they had gotten a condo down on the no, Gulf to spend for the week and then another guy was like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking my family over to Europe for the week. And it was like in this moment, I felt a ladder kind of emerge, Right? And, and where we are on that ladder, whether it's the travel ladder or the education ladder, any kind of ladder, where that ladder determines how good of a life we think we have. The higher you up, the higher up you are, the better off you are, our world says. But Jesus starts off this sermon and he turns the ladders of our world upside down. He says it's not those who have climbed up the ladders who are experiencing the good life. It's those who are at the bottom because even though they are the least and the last in this world, these are the people who come first in the kingdom of God. Now, who are they? This is what we've been looking at for the past few weeks. Who are the people at the bottom of the ladders? Well, they're the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the merciful, the pure in heart. It's the peacemakers. Jesus calls each of these groups blessed, which is why we call this section the Beatitudes. Beatitude is just a Latin word for the word blessed. And so last week, Dan helped us see that these groups aren't just a picture of who Jesus is inviting into the kingdom that he came to announce. These groups are also a picture of what we become as we follow Jesus. See, as we follow Jesus, we become poor in spirit because following Jesus shows us that we are absolutely empty apart from him that we can do nothing on our own. As we follow Jesus, we become poor in spirit. And so as we follow Jesus, we become mournful because we see how broken this world is and how broken our lives are without Jesus. That, that how broken our lives are, how broken the world is from the way that God created these things to be. And so we mourn. As we follow Jesus, we become merciful because we realize just how much mercy God has given us. And we want those around us to experience the same kind of mercy through us. And so we become these things. And although these characteristics feel like a descent in the world's eyes, they're actually an, a glorious 
upward ascent in the eyes of God because with them, they bring blessings that are greater than anything, any ladder, any kingdom of this world can give us. And so today, uh, there's one more beatitude that we're gonna be looking at. We saved it for today, and here it is, the very last one. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is, I think, the hardest one. And Jesus does something really interesting with this. There's all sorts of interesting things about this beatitude. One of the interesting things is that Jesus explains this one. None of the other beatitudes get an explanation. But Jesus says, if if you want to double click on this, I'm going to unpack this a little bit for you. So he gives us a couple more verses. So we keep reading. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. (laughs) This is not an easy verse at all. This is is why I think Jesus saved this one for last, is because it's probably the hardest. So I want you to imagine that you are in this crowd, sitting on the hillside, listening to Jesus. Imagine you're Peter. All right, Peter, one of the disciples, you're sitting on the front row of this crowd because just a few days ago, Jesus showed up on, at your work site. Jesus was this up and coming rabbi that, that the whole region was buzzing about. And rabbis in the day, they would walk around and they would kind of find their people, find the best of the best, and they would invite them to come, follow me, learn from me, walk from me, or walk with me. And Jesus shows up at Peter's work site. Jesus is getting off the late night fishing shift. And Jesus says, hey, follow me. This was the closest thing to a first-round draft pick that there was back then. So if you're Peter, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You've been invited to follow the most popular emerging rabbi in the land. So you leave your job, you toss aside your fishing nets, you leave your family for a bit, and you take Jesus up on this offer. You're feeling pretty good about what's ahead of you. And as Jesus is teaching, you hear him say, you hear him look out upon the crowd, and right in the front row is you. And he says, blessed are you. And you're like, yeah, I am. (laughs) When people persecute you because of me. And in that moment, this is Peter. He's probably saying, hold on, time out, hold up, rewind. What? (laughs) What did you just say? Because you didn't mention that part back when I was getting off my fishing ship. Well, you said persecute, what? If if, uh, anyone grew up in the 80s, watched TV in the 80s, yes, thank you, Gen Xers, we're out there, woo-hoo. This is, is, there was a TV show called Different Strokes, and Gary Coleman uh, played Arnold, and uh, there was a line that he said over and over again where Arnold would look at his brother Willis, and and he would say, what you talking about, Willis? This is a what you talking about, Willis kind of moment. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Jesus had lots of what you talking about moments. So this isn't just so much what you talking about, Willis. This is what you talking about, Jesus, is Peter thinking. And we're going to be thinking this too when we read this. Jesus says lots of things. And a lot of things come in the Sermon on the Mount where we're going to be like, time out. What are you talking about? What is this? So just, just take a couple of them that, that we're going to come across. He says, he says, it's better to cut off your hand and gouge out your eye so that you aren't thrown into hell. What? He says, he says that if you want to follow me, you need to hate your mother and father. Uh, l- later on in his ministry, he says, he talks about eating his body and drinking his blood. Where do we even begin with that one if you're listening to this, right? 
You see, Jesus says things that are confusing. These things don't make it into our Hallmark cards and our devotional readings. <laughs> but if there are things that, 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 that it's easy to skip past and kind of push aside, but if we're really going to get to know Jesus and if we're really going to follow him, we have to pay attention to what Jesus says. We have to pay attention to everything he says. And if there's something that Jesus says a lot of in his teaching, it's this hard, shocking, uncomfortable truth that will make most of you, most of us, wish that we had stayed home. Or those of you who are watching, you might be tempted to turn over to the pregame right now. And it's this shocking, uncomfortable truth that we have to wrestle with today. And this is it. Following Jesus will create persecution in your life. Following Jesus will create persecution in your life. I tried. I worked really hard to try to soften this from what this says right now. It's like, can we rhyme it and make it sound a little easier? Can we kind of alliterate it? But, but I, 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 I couldn't do it. Because this is just something that Jesus keeps coming back to. Every week we have a team of staff who collaborate on this week on the week's message. So no matter who's preaching, we have a small team of people, pastors and other staff and leaders in our church, and we start with the scripture that we're preaching on. And just together we look at it and we pay attention and we say, what do we notice there? And what might God be wanting to teach the people of Heartland this week so that we can learn from one another before we get up here on the stage and share these messages. So as we were doing this this week with this, this particular verse, DJ, our high school pastor, he said, you know, it's interesting that persecution is as much a mark of following Jesus as being merciful is. It's as much a mark of following Jesus as being a peacemaker is. It's, that's interesting. It's also confusing and shocking Here's the questions that we kicked around in this meeting. If, if, do I have to be persecuted? Like, can Jesus, will he blame me? Can he blame me if I'm up for following him, but I'm not up for the whole persecution thing? If I'm not being persecuted, does that mean I'm not following Jesus? Was persecution just a back there and then thing? Or is it a here and now thing too? And I think all of these questions that this verse brings up for us really boiled down to one question that I want us to wrestle with. It's, am I willing to follow Jesus if it leads to persecution? That is a hard question. That's an uncomfortable question. And what do we do with that kind of question? What do we do with the difficult things that Jesus teaches us, the difficult things that he even asks us of us? Well, what we don't do is we don't skip them. And we don't take those things and make them say what we want them to say. We're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to do, we do what we're going to do today. We're going to dig into it. We're going to see what Jesus means by this. And so this is, this is our challenge. For you note takers, here's our outline. Here's where I'm going. Three questions, really straightforward. What kind of persecution will we face? What about following Jesus causes persecution? And then third, how should we respond when persecution happens? What kinds of persecution? What causes persecution? And what do we do when it happens? So, first question. What kind of persecution will we face? Because persecution, this is, this is a word that is as big as it is scary. And so what kind of persecution? Jesus helps us, like I said in verse 11, he kind of explains, unpacks persecution a little bit. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. If you look at the the different English translations of the Bible, so just as a reminder, Jesus spoke in Aramaic and then it was recorded in the Bible in Greek and then the the English translators translated it into English so that we could understand what he was saying. But if you know anything about languages, there's lots of different words in one language that can can make sense of the other language. And this is why we have so many English translations is to help us try to get as as full a grasp of of what the author is saying, what Jesus was, was talking about. And so if you look at the English translations, here's all of the words that will show up just in this one verse between the translations. It says, blessed are, those who ins- when, blessed are you when people insult you, when they revile you, when they mistreat you, when they spread lies about you, reproach you, hurt you, mock you, blame you, trouble you, put you down, push you aside, and throw you out. And so what is persecution? It's when there is something about you that causes others to do something to you that is unfair or to say something about you that is untrue. There's something about you that causes others to do something to you that's unfair or say something about you that is not true. And Jesus wants us to know here that following him will create that in your life. Now, I want to be clear about a couple of things. First of all, Not everything that we think is persecution is persecution. If you have a Jesus fish on your car and someone cuts you off in traffic, that's not persecution. They're probably not persecution. That's just a bad driver, okay? If you post something on Facebook, it could be anything, but maybe it's something about God or your faith or something, and someone takes issue with it, they disagree with it, that's probably not persecution. That's an invitation to a conversation. That's an invitation into a relationship with someone. And so not everything we face is persecution. But here's the second thing that I want, that I I need to be clear about. is that following Jesus is different than simply believing in Jesus. Calling yourself a Christian is a label. Following Jesus is a lifestyle. Following Jesus is walking in his steps. There was, a, there was an old Jewish saying in the day, it's a kind of a way of blessing, is may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because when you were a disciple of a rabbi, you were walking closely with that rabbi. You were, you were at their feet listening to their teaching. You were doing life with them. You were watching them. And so it was an invitation to walk close with your rabbi, to walk in the footsteps of your rabbi, so close that you were covered in that rabbi's dust. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Dallas Willard, he says, the great issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs, and and there are a lot of issues and needs in our world today, right? He says, the greatest one is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, will become students and apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ. Get this, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into the corner of human existence. He's saying that when we follow Jesus, we're not just following him in one part of our life, not just just our spiritual life. We're inviting his leadership and we're inviting his teaching into every part of our life, our relational life, our home life, our career life. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And this doesn't happen without a cost. There's a couple of scenes in Matthew's gospel where we see some of the different kinds of persecution that those who follow Jesus will incur. The first is uh, John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist, his whole purpose in life was to help get the word out about Jesus and the kingdom that Jesus was announcing. John the Baptist also wasn't afraid to, to speak out and call out leaders for their hypocrisy and their immorality, whether political leaders, religious leaders, he was, he was willing to call them out. Leaders like King Herod. Now, Herod was a mad, murderous tyrant who was willing to do whatever he needed to get whatever he wanted from the world. One of the things that Herod wanted was his brother's wife. And so Herod used his power to marry his brother Philip's wife, whose name was Herodias. What a great name, right? Herod and Herodias. Now, Herod also, that meant that he had to force his brother to divorce Herodias so that they could be married. That's Herod. Now, the Jewish people, they, didn't, they, they hated this and they expressed their disapproval because this was an incredible violation of the law. And John speaks out on behalf of the people and he calls out the couple and they don't like this so much, especially Herodias. And so one night the couple is throwing a party and Herodias' daughter dances for the guests and it so pleases Herod, which is a little weird, that Herod promises to grant Herodias' daughter anything that she desires. And here's what Matthew says. Prompted by her mother, the daughter said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed because of his oaths and his dinner guests. And so he ordered that her request be granted and he had John beheaded in the prison. And so John's head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. And John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and they told Jesus. We know that the news of what happened to John the Baptist deeply affected Jesus. And I think when he heard the news, I wonder if he went back to this moment on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Because Jesus knew that things like this would happen to his followers. Jesus knew that things like this would happen in the coming days, but also in the coming centuries. It would happen to Peter and the other disciples. It would happen in the early church. It's still happening today where in parts of the world, followers of Jesus are being imprisoned. They're being kidnapped. They're being tortured and killed. And this is a shocking reality that we need to be aware of and that we need to be sobered by because we can too easily forget this. But when we hear about this kind of persecution, our immediate reaction, what's going through my mind is, is that, this isn't going to happen to me, is it? Is it? For most of us, living here and now, watching wherever you're watching, probably not. No, it's not. But you and I, if we follow Jesus, we will face persecution of some other kind. There's another moment in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is having dinner with his disciples. And in the midst of this meal, uh, this woman comes in and pours an expensive bottle of perfume over Jesus' head. Has anyone ever had this happen to them before? No? Me neither. I just, you know, this isn't a custom now. It wasn't a custom back then, too. This wasn't normal. It's not like we're missing out on some common practice. No. In fact, everyone in the room thought this was strange, too. And so... Uh, this, this woman, she pours out this perfume. It's an act that is as shocking as it is extravagant. And she gets criticized and rebuked by everyone in the room, everyone except Jesus. Matthew writes that when the disciples saw this, they became indignant. The, the, uh, the idea here is that they began barking at this woman. 
rebuking her, disapproving of her. And they say to themselves, why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money could have been given to the poor. And let's be honest, their reaction makes a little bit of sense to us. This bottle of perfume is thought to have been worth about a a year's salary. That's a lot of money. And so we can understand their criticism. Who wastes a year's salary? And why in the world are you pouring a bottle of perfume on the head of your rabbi while he's eating dinner? (laughs) But I love Jesus' response. Aware of this, Jesus said to the disciples, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. See, whenever we do something out of devotion to Jesus, I think he looks upon it and calls it beautiful. Jesus jumps in and he says, why are you criticizing and harassing her, fellas? Back off, would you? Because as strange as it may look, Jesus knew that she, what she was doing was out of devotion to him. In fact, he goes on to say that what she did was because she knew that Jesus was going to die soon, that he was going to go to the cross. And so she was anointing him. She was preparing him for his death. And then Jesus rebukes the disciples for them not knowing that. And here's, here's what this woman shows us. If you choose to follow Jesus, you may not be killed but you will be criticized. To many of the people around you, faith in God is delusional. Orienting your life around a book that was written in a completely different time and place in the world, well, that's absurd. Putting your character ahead of your career, that's noble, but it's naive. Taking time out of your week to go to church or a small group to be with hypocrites and self-righteous legalists, that's a waste of time. And sacrificing any of your money to help those places? Well, hey, you do you. You see, even if the people around you don't criticize you, you may criticize yourself. And in fact, I wonder when the woman had just heard all of these disciples kind of rebuking her and barking at her, I wonder, I have to think in that moment that she was criticizing herself too. Because there are times when we follow Jesus, when we do things out of devotion to Jesus, where we're wondering, does any of this really matter? Is any of this really worth it? So following Jesus is going to create all kinds of persecution, all kinds of criticism. Now, as we unpack that, some of you may be ready to run away from this altogether. You're like, that's it, I'm done, I'm out. Now, others of you who are a little more zealous than others of us, you may be like running out to the races saying, bring it on, give me the persecution. But before you do, no matter what, running away, running into whatever. Second question, what causes the persecution that we face? What is it about following Jesus that causes persecution? If Jesus was like the most incredible, most loving person who ever walked the face of this planet, what is it about following him that would ever incur any kind of persecution? Well, if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to notice something. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the persecuted and stop right there. There's not a period right there in the sentence. Because not all persecution is blessed. Because you can be persecuted for all sorts of things and not be blessed. Wearing a Ravens jersey in Kansas City today may get you persecuted, but that doesn't make you blessed. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness. 
Now, what is righteousness? And we need to know, because righteousness is going to come up all the time in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me start with what righteousness is not. In our culture, we confuse righteousness with rightness. Now, rightness is the insistence, it's the assumption that you are right. Man, do we love that, right? Rightness is what fuels road rage and Facebook arguments. Rightness is what led to the Crusades and causes terrorist attacks and wars in the world. My family will tell you that if there is one person in this world who loves to be right, it is the person who is talking to you right now. I love a couple months ago we had a guest speaker in and he said that, he, that he's willing to lose an argument as long as everyone knows that he was right. And, and my family was like nudging me and be like, Dad, that's you. And I'm like, yeah. So as someone who loves being right, let me tell you why we love to be right. It's because being right makes us feel like God. But righteousness is different. Righteousness is not pretending to be God. It's living in right relationship with God. And it's living in right relationship with the people around you. And sometimes rightness can get in the way of righteousness. You see, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, blessed are the persecuted for being right or self-righteous. He doesn't say blessed are the persecuted for being difficult or obstinate. He doesn't say blessed are the persecuted for being offensive or easily offended. He doesn't say blessed are the persecuted for being judgmental or a jerk. He doesn't say blessed are the persecuted for acting a fool. See, we can act, I know, well, you know what? I know none of us in here would ever be any of these things, right? No, none of you here, none of you watching online. But let me give us, let me give us an example of what this can look like. So um, I consider myself evangelical. And I know that that is a loaded word in our culture that has all sorts of connotations. But I don't accept a lot of them. Some people think that if you're an evangelical, it means you, you, you see issues a certain way, you, you vote a certain way, all of these different things that have kind of gotten attached to it. But in its, in its most basic, to be evangelical is to have a high view of Jesus, It's to have a high view of, of the Bible, It's to have a high view of grace and to believe that Jesus came to do something in this world, but also something very personal in our lives. And at the core of being evangelical, the very basic element of being evangelical is to be someone who believes that Jesus is God and, who, and to deeply want other people to believe this too. This kind of evangelical spirit is a huge part of our church. Everything in this church, that has, everything we have ever done, everything we have ever been, has been with a heart for those who are furthest from God. It's for those who haven't experienced the good news of Jesus to have a safe place to do so. But part of the reason why the word evangelical is such a hard, ugly difficult word nowadays is because of so many along the way who've let their evangelical zeal give permission to being offensive and argumentative and judgmental. And when we get that way, we shouldn't be surprised if the world ignores us or fights back. And we can be tempted in our evangelical zeal, we can be tempted to say, well, Jesus said we'd be persecuted. I'm just preaching the truth. But the apostle Paul, who was I think, one of the fiercest evangelicals who ever lived, he would look at us and he would say, no, that's on you. In fact, he wrote to one church, he said, if I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
Because Paul knew that love was the most important thing. Without love, we're just adding noise to the world. And who wants to hear that? Without love, righteousness is just rightness. And when being right is our agenda, then we're giving our world a picture of God that is completely absent of love. Here's how Martin Lloyd-Jones, a British preacher from the 1900s, here's how he defines righteousness. I think he makes it really simple. Being righteous, practicing righteousness, really means being like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be righteous. It's to be like, to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that gives us kind of a way to think about our lives. That's a test for us. That should clear things up because Jesus is basically saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for being like me. And so when those around you see you, do they see someone who is living like Jesus? Who treats others like Jesus? Who speaks and listens like Jesus? Who is passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about? who welcomes and spends time with those that Jesus welcomes and spends time with, who challenges those who Jesus challenged in the way that he challenged them. You see, the way that Jesus lived, that provoked people and it made them uncomfortable. When it came to the ladders of this world, he turned them upside down. When, he, when it comes to our relationships, Jesus preached forgiveness, not revenge. When it came to enemies, he taught us to love them, not hate them. When it came to money, he taught generosity, not greed. He elevated the poor and he challenged the rich. When it came to sin, Jesus had an urgency with it, not a tolerance for it. And eventually, people would get so uncomfortable with him that it got him arrested and killed on a cross. See, when we live like Jesus did, it's gonna make the world around you a little uncomfortable. And when that happens, if you begin to suffer some of the persecution, the criticism, the insult, the slander that can happen in those moments, then here's our third question. How do we respond? How do we respond to the persecution that we might receive? Jesus tells us how we should respond in this verse. We go back to this beatitude. He says, so rejoice and be glad. Now. This feels like a tall order. <laughs> Anyone else? When you're facing persecution, rejoice and be glad. Like is, 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 is Jesus saying, hey, woohoo, I'm being persecuted, bring it on, I love this. Uh, no, no. That was really weird, I promise never to dance again. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, no, that's not what Jesus is saying to do. But I think Jesus tells us to rejoice because he knows that when we face persecution, there's something else that we're going to be tempted to do, and it's to resent. That it's to resent the persecution, that it's to resent those who are persecuting us. It may even be to resent God for allowing this persecution in our lives. And if you, if you look up the definition of resentment, you're going to see bitterness and anger. But I think that misses a little bit of what resentment does to us because resentment it creates distance between us and whatever we're resenting. And Jesus doesn't want that to happen. And so he says, don't resent, rejoice. Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. See, it's not in vain 
It's not in some like trite hope that we should rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says that we can rejoice for two reasons. Because we have a great reward and because we're in good company. What's the great reward that Jesus is talking about? It's to trust that Jesus sees something in heaven for you that is, as one commentator on this passage writes, something that is a hundredfold compensation for every pain that you will face. To the degree that you believe what Jesus sees in heaven, to that degree, you will be able to rejoice and to be glad in suffering. It's what Paul describes to his, in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This is, this is the reward. It's an eternal glory. Paul is broadening our perspective. He's helping us see beyond this world. He's, he's, he's changing our perspective. See, most of the New Testament was written by people experiencing persecution to people who are facing persecution. To the Philippians, while Paul is in prison, he writes to them in their own suffering, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That God has granted you, that he, another translation will say, generously granted to you the privilege of suffering for him. That's not how we see things. But Paul wants us to see things a little bit differently. That in some way, whatever suffering and persecution that we face for following Jesus is a privilege. That there's a reward. That it's a gift. See, we fear persecution, I think. We fear following Jesus because of persecution. Many people are so afraid of Christianity being persecuted or being pushed out of society because we've gotten so used to Christianity being accepted and normal in society. But historians will be quick to remind us that it's when Christianity was least accepted and most persecuted in the world that it had the most influence. It's like our influence, church, doesn't come from sitting atop the ladders of our world. Our influence comes from living like Jesus. And so what's the good company that, that we're in the midst of when we're persecuted? Well, Jesus draws back on the many prophets of Israel who were ignored and killed for their devotion to God. These were the heroes of the faith that Jesus is bringing back into view. Heroes like, like, the, like, the, like Daniel, the stories of him going into the lion's den and other prophets who, who we don't even know the names of, but we know they were there. That the, that the Jewish people would have said, these are the heroes of our faith. These are what give us hope to press on. And Jesus is looking at these disciples, at Peter in the crowd, and he's saying, when you face persecution, you're in their company. And that's true for you too. That if you face persecution, you are in the company of the heroes of the faith. And you're in the company of Jesus. Because when Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, he knew that he would be persecuted. He knew that he would be insulted and mocked and blamed. He knew that there would be lies that would be spread about him and that he would be put down. 
cast aside and thrown out, that he would be hung on a cross. But he didn't resent it because he wouldn't let that persecution create distance between him and us. See, we aren't only the persecuted at times, we're also the persecutors. That Jesus wouldn't have gone to that cross if it weren't for us and our sin putting him there. In fact, it was on the cross that Jesus cried out perhaps the most shocking upside down thing that was ever spoken on this planet. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. See, this, this whole beatitude, this would be useless to us if it, if it wasn't spoken by, if it was spoken by someone who hadn't experienced the worst kind of injustice and persecution that this world had to offer. That's what gives us hope. That's why we need this promise. That's why we need to dig into this beatitude. Because whatever conflict or criticism or suffering that you face in this world, that we face, because of your devotion to Jesus, you can know that you're not alone in it and that that persecution, that suffering is not in vain. And I hope that comforts us, Heartland. I hope that comforts you. But I hope it also challenges you. That it will challenge us to not let the fear of persecution temper our devotion to Jesus that it would not let the fear of persecution to keep us from walking close behind in the steps of our rabbi. Because what our world needs to see is a church, our families, and people who are following Jesus, who are living like him. That's the picture that our world needs. And so as we close today, and as we close the Beatitudes, this first section of this sermon, I asked if the band would, would uh, give us a song to help us reflect on the one who was persecuted on our behalf. But not just to reflect, I'm gonna ask us to stand in a moment because I think this is also something to rejoice in. That Jesus forgave the persecutors and he also sees and comforts the persecuted. And so as we sing this song, it, if there is something that you are going through, some sort of suffering or conflict or fear, persecution in your home, workplace, this world, we want you to know that you're not alone in it. And so we'll have a few people from our prayer team just along these green walls and during the song, feel free to just move over and let them just pray for you. It'll be quick, but it'll be a way for us to be able to say, you know what? You're not alone. God sees you. God's with you. There's a reward for this. We would love to do that. So as the band plays, let's stand, let's reflect, let's rejoice, let's sing this together.